Welcome to the podcast of champions. This is the Herald Express Devon Live Talker United Yellow Army podcast created weekly for you by Guy Henderson and Richard Hughes. Here you can find everything you ever wanted to know about Talker United. You can find the podcast in the Talker United section of devonlive.com or you can subscribe to us in iTunes or at Acast. These weeks go around quickly, don't they? Greetings. It's podcast day again, and we've got a packed programme for you today. We have plenty to talk about, despite the fact that there's no football. Talking United have won a competition on Facebook in the last few days. We'll tell you all about that a little bit later on. We'll talk about Gary Johnson and how laid back he is about signings at the moment. He's been explaining why uh, to Richard Hughes. Richard also has a chat with the uh, the people who run the Talkie United ladies team and their very positive, very upbeat look ahead to the future for football whenever it does restart. Then, of course, we reach K in the Talkie United A to Z, the alphabet of Plainmore, uh, which we've been running through for the last few weeks. And K is probably the busiest one of the lot. We have an FA Cup final first, a close encounter with a squirrel, nice one Cyril, and of course, Talker United's only entry into the Guinness Book of Records. And quite apart from that, towards the end of the podcast, you'll hear exclusive local music, a song composed especially to pay tribute to that very, very famous goals moment. Listen in. Richard, welcome. We're we're socially distanced. We're the other side of the bay again. The dog's barking well today, and you're still having trouble with names, as people will discover a little bit later on. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, just old age. I mean. <laughs> Do you think? I, I, I said to Gary actually. I told Gary that I'd had, a, I'd had trouble with a name again this week, and he, and he, I, I said it's probably down to the fact that I don't see anyone any, anymore. That's probably true. We're not used to greeting people these days at all, no. are we? But we've got, I mean, good news this week is that Talking United have won something without even playing a game. If you've been following a competition on Facebook, which has been run by the the non-league away days group, good group, have a look at that, plenty of chat going on in there. Uh, they had a competition for people to vote for the um, the best kit in the National League and Talking United vanquished Barrow, Wrexham and Woking on the way to a final with Hartlepool whose kit was a kind of slightly dull blue with a white band across the middle. Uh, and it, it was one-way traffic, to be honest. Torquay triumphant and Torquay officially have the best kit in the National League. We knew that anyway, though, Guy, didn't we? We, we did know that anyway. But um, the, the, yeah, the opposition, it's, uh, the Wrexham shirt is quite nice. The Barrow shirt's nice. Woking, of course, have got that sort of shadowy red effect. Hartlepool was a bit ordinary. I thought the, it was a one-sided final. Well, that's what we like. We like one-sided finals. We're not often a part of them. To no, be fair. that's true. That is true. The more you say it, the, the happier I am with uh, with winning the competition. <laughs> so, uh, are you well this week? Everything okay? Yeah, um, there, there are people on ladders outside the uh, the front window. So, uh, if there are any barking episodes, that's why. Um, he's obviously just protecting me. Yeah, of course, way. of course. I had an eye test booked today, but I've just had a little drive up to Barry Pomeroy Castle and back, and they seem fine, so I'm not going to bother with it. That's good, okay. that's good. So That's the politics out of the way. Yeah, a little bit of uh, heavy, clunky, Ben Elton-style satire to start the uh, <laughs> podcast off. Um, 
Gary Johnson, very laid back this week. You spoke to him. He was actually, as you spoke to him, he was stretched out on a lounger in the sunshine with a cool drink in his hand. Or well, that's the way it came across. I'm not sure if there was a cool drink, but he was certainly apparently stretched out on his garden furniture, he, he said. So I had, a, I had ideas of what kind of garden furniture it might be. <laughs> that's necessarily a, a sun lounge. It could have been spread out on a table. Or, uh, no, that's... Uh, that, that's Let's, let's move off the subject. Let's he was very relaxed. Yeah, and, and um, he, he's being patient, isn't he? He's playing the waiting game. He's patient. He's laid back. He knows exactly what he wants to do in this close season. But he, it sounds as if he's in no hurry to, you know, to move too quickly. He can afford to be patient, can't he? He's got 12 players signed up, 12, mm. 12 different players. Um, that's a better position than a lot of the teams are in at the moment at our level. Um, especially, you know, some of the some of the smaller teams, and um, you know, going forward, he can he can wait and see what's available. Like he said, there there will be players who are still on the books of teams that won't be on the books of teams come the start of next season or come the start of whenever a preseason is when you can bring players in to, to talk to them and trial them. Um, he he knows, I think, who he's after. Yeah, he said he's got a list. I think he's probably already um, worked out who is coming in on loan, two or three players. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of familiar faces come back. I see you, um, hint, you hinted at that in the paper this week. So it, there may be players that we know of old. Yeah, I was hinting at that. He didn't necessarily hint at that. But, um, mm. you know, I, I wouldn't... I mean, how many loan players did we have on loan last year? How many of those will be available? Most of them you'd take back. Yeah, um, so true. you know, and of course, he has the link with uh, his son Lee at uh, Bristol City, uh, the manager there. So, you know, I would have thought that the loan players are basically done and dusted, and we're just waiting for, you know, the progression of uh, towards yeah. towards games for those to be announced and, and deals to be finalised. Um, with regards to the two or three new signings. He did say he talked to people, um, and you know, for some of those people, the ball had been left in their court. For some of the other people, uh, they had left the ball in Torquay's court. So I guess that's that's what you call early talks. Yeah. But um, I should imagine he has a list of more than two or three that he's talked to. Yeah. yeah. And um, we will see who who appears at Playmore. Yeah. Next season, from that list, I, you know, he's got a very good network around him. I mean, you know, you couldn't have a more knowledgeable manager of a lower league players, could you? Um, mm. So, you know, him and Peter and Aaron Downs, I'm sure, have been been on Zoom chewing the fat about this player, that player, every player. Absolutely. And uh, obviously talks have started. It's all very chilled, though, isn't it? A normal season like this, the fans would be starting to get a bit restless. They'd want to see names in the frame. But, I mean, there's no real idea of when they're going to be able to go back to training still. There's no real idea of when we might see a match again. I mean, I know they're talking about um, contact training for the Premier League teams, but that can't work with this track and trace business, can it? um... No, it can't. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with League Two playoffs now on. Yeah. About to, or planning to, to planning for a match behind closed doors against Colchester. Um, 
the uh, from what I read earlier on today, um, the National League has been given the green light by the FA to extend the season, although no plans have been finalised on any playoffs. But they now can go for playoffs, apparently, if they want to. Of course, this time last week, um, you know, the, or 10 days ago or whatever it was, um, timelines are a bit fuzzy. Um, the EFL had decided to stop. Yes, and yeah. That was going to be it. And, of course... You know, the, the English Football League then had a meeting and told them, no, you can't do that. that you've got to play on. So, you know, it's... decisions are made and decisions are scrubbed. And, you know, it's we are living in a, a very strange football scenario and era. We are. And, and it's not just football, but in a, there is a, a lot of making things up as you go along going on at the moment. Inevitably, there has to be because we've never been in this kind of a situation before, have we? It's just it's, when we look back on this in ten years' time, it'll be um, it, it'll be with some amusement, I think, with the way that um, the football season ended or didn't end. Well, when you consider that the football football has been a a regimented thing that happens without question every year, a season happens, a next season happens, you know, for for, for this to happen for for us, especially for people of our age, and we're not the oldest people in the world, but we're not young either. Well, I'm young. I'm speaking for myself, not yourself. Of course. Uh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do the runs that you do. Um, but, you know, we, we've got long memories. And the idea that a football season would, would stop before it ended and then you're questioning whether it's going to start again uh, on the usual time frame, for us, that's just been ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very strange indeed. Um, you've been talking this week to the, um, the the team who are running the Talk United Ladies team. They're very positive, very upbeat about uh, whatever happens next, and also some very interesting things to say about the uh, the old attitudes to women's ladies football as well. Um, it, it, give us a bit of an introduction to these two guys. Jamie McInnes um, uh, is the manager of, uh, the manager of Talk United's ladies team, women's team. Uh, he's assisted by an old friend of ours from the press box, Matt Green, who used to write for a website and sit sit there and keep us uh, keep us in in Tunnock's Tunnock's. Uh, he certainly did. Uh, what, what the, and the caramel wafers. The the, that's the ones, yeah. So um, yeah, we know Matt very well. Uh, they're both obviously deeply involved in talking about it in the community, um, and Jamie has responsibility now for the women's team. Um, over the years, they've they, they, they've done really well. They, they're, they're on a they're on a low point at the moment. I think it's fair to say, without being uh, disrespectful to the two managers, last season was a bit of tra- bit, tra- bit traumatic. They're in the um, the South West Regional League, um, and you know that's after a couple of uh, relegations. Um, of course, Buckland Athletic, who was started only about five years ago have flown every season and won promotion every season and are two divisions above them now. So so they are playing second fiddle in the bay. So actually finding players yeah. is difficult now because they're not the biggest women's team or in the bay, I should say, but in the local area yeah. because Buckland, Kings, Kings Curzel, between Kings Curzel and Newton Abbott. So, um, yeah, so they're facing problems. They were getting tonked last year, I think it's fair to say. Um they have regrouped, I think, during this lockdown period, um, been talking to players. They are hoping to, to utilise 
youth team players, they're starting more youth teams, and they're hoping to start up again with a bit more of a, a, a different attitude and, um, and you know, um, more of a positive mood, I think. Okay. When they can, of course, because we don't know when that is. I, I will say that, you know, um, they wanted to speak together as, as manager and assistant, and they did that on a park bench outside Cayman, uh, Cayman Golf Course in, in, in Paynton or Preston, I think. It, no, it's not Preston, it's Paynton. It's Churston, um, yeah. Churston, that's right. Um, so they did that there before going out for a game of golf, although Jamie did say that that was a... a <laughs> Describing their game as golf might be taking a bit far, but um, no. So anyone who's thinking they were talking to me together, they were, but they were outside and uh, separated on a park bench. Okay, let's have a listen into your chat with them. So hello um, to Jamie and Matt, uh, Jamie McInnes and Matt Green, who are the management team of Torquay United Ladies. Um, tell us about how it's going and how planning is for next season yeah well we've um, obviously like the rest of the football world we've gone into sort of hibernation a little bit in terms of actually the, the football sessions the training the matches the season was prematurely ended um, so that was that was a bit disappointing but we've been doing an awful lot of work behind the scenes that work had already started probably towards the end of 2019 um, in terms of putting a, a pathway together for next season, um, we're looking to expand and have girls' teams at all ages, and then obviously with the women's team at the top of the tree. Um, so an awful lot of work has gone into that from myself and Matt behind the scenes. Um, yeah, and we're just um, we're just itching to get back to it now. Really, um, I don't know, Matt, if you wanted to add anything. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously strange not being able to uh, to get out and, and do much football. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're, we're definitely looking uh, at the future rather than sort of a, a, the last few seasons, uh, just to try and uh, push on. Um, but yeah, I think we're all itching as, as most of the football community is to uh, to get them back out and being able to start training as a as a team, etc. And whatever. Uh, that is to start with. Um, but yeah, just looking forward to it again. Bear with me. I'm going to pause. Right, sorry about that. Um, obviously, listeners are, are familiar with Bertie, so he was in the room and he saw someone daring to walk outside the, the window. Um, it, it's a transitional period, isn't it, uh, Matt, for, for the team? Last season, um, you, you were rebuilding recently. Um, was the... Uh, how did you feel that was going before it was, you know, the the rug was taken from under your feet, really? Yeah, I mean, like you say, it's a rebuilding uh, process that we're going through. I think uh, the last couple of seasons are, have been quite tough for us on, on the field. Um, I came into it last season uh, with, with Jamie and, yeah, we, we, we quickly identified that we need to build for the future. Um, and, and that process really sort of got underway probably midway through last season. Um it, it, it is tough, you know, we're, we're trying to pick up new players, um, as you can probably imagine, um, and, and build on what we've got. But, but yeah, it's, it's going well. Uh, we could have done without, uh, without the, the lockdown, etc. like uh, every single football club throughout yeah. the country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's progress. Um, and, and like I said, once we can get back out, we, we, we want to be in a position where we can really hit the ground running. So we're doing the groundwork now. Um, so that when we do get back out on the pitch, we can really sort of push on uh, to where we both want to get the uh, get the football club to. 
Uh, I take it that the, the division you're in, and you're going to have to remind me of the division, it has been scrapped for the, for the season, um, just like, you know, most football. Yeah, so um, we play in the Southwest Regional Women's Football League, yeah. um, the Premier Division, which is basically the fifth tier yeah. of women's football. Um, and yeah, they've made the decision to expunge all the results. Um, no promotions, no relegations, I believe. I think it's all been um, ratified now, so... Yeah, we're preparing for another season in the Premier Division. In some ways, I mean, because of the situation where you were in with the transitional period and, and maybe, you know, it hadn't been as quick as you would have hoped, that's that's not a bad outcome for you, really, at the moment. No, we, we feel it's a good outcome, to be honest. Um, you know, we were, we were battling hard to try and stay in that division anyway. Obviously, circumstances mean that we will compete in that league again. Um, it's a competitive league. It's, you know, it's the fifth tier. It's a decent league. Um, there's a lot of good players in, in that, uh, in that division. Um, you know, and, and we want to be sort of in the shake up next season, if possible, you know, pushing, pushing further forward. So, um, it is a challenge. Um, but in that league, we hope that we can sort of, you know, bring in, uh, maybe two or three, uh, new signings for next season that will really help us push on, um, in that division. And you want to, to sort of bring youth into the team and, uh, and, uh, and try, try and, try and build teams from within, really, rather than necessarily bringing people from outside? Yeah, I mean, um, I've been involved for two years now and um, it's been, there's been a lot of firefighting and trying to, trying to fix things quickly and bring in short-term yeah, solutions yeah. And, and that's not really worked. So it has been about trying to build something longer term. Like I said, we've got the girls' teams in place. We had an under-18s girls' team last season and we've signed four of those um, on for the new season. So we don't want to... It would be foolish to go into that league with a team full of youngsters because there's some very strong teams in there. But we want to bring in bring in a few youngsters to kind of complement what we've already got, which is a, a really good group of players, to be fair. They're really hardworking and got a good attitude. Excellent. Um, on, a, on, on a wider question about women's football, how do you see women's football in the modern game? It's, um, it's obviously grown at a national level, but what about a grassroots level? How much help do you get from the club? How much help do you get from the FA, etc.? Yeah, it has grown nationally. And I think that, um, I mean, the, the World Cup last year was a massive boost for everybody in the country. Uh, the FA have been excellent, to be fair. Um, I don't know if the viewers, uh, the listeners, sorry, will know about the, the FA Wildcats programme, but the FA have basically funded, uh, I think it's over a thousand centres across the country for five to 11 year old girls to get them playing football. Brilliant. Um, we've benefited from that. We've got, we've probably got about 200 girls on our programmes, uh, every week, which is fantastic. And yeah, I think it's, um, it's certainly getting there. It's certainly getting there. You still get the odds, uh, the odd attitude, the old fashioned sort of, yeah. um, oh, she's good for a girl, that kind of thing. And <laughs> that's frustrating. And, but, but, that's but she's probably better than you for a girl as well. Yeah. Just... Well, it, <laughs> But uh, but no, that, that attitude is kind of getting there. And I think um, what it's about for me, really, I'm very passionate about it. And what it's about for me is not trying to give the girls and the women special treatment. They don't want to, you know, they, they don't want anything extra. They just want it to be normalised and just yeah. given the, exactly, exactly the same opportunities as boys and men get. And, and it's getting there. Yeah, it's been really good the last few years. Well, one of the, one of the things that I've been do, doing in the Herald Express when we have written about women's football, um, and obviously Buckland have been quite successful, so we've written quite a lot about them, is I've not been using the, the label women's football. It's Talk United and it's Buckland Athletic. Because I don't think, you know, you know, as soon as you start reading the story, you can tell it's women's football because the names are female names. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to, um, 
I, I don't like branding it women's football. I just think it's it's football. Yeah, and uh, one thing that's kind of changed as well, you would have noticed, is a lot of clubs have now gone from using the term ladies yeah, to women. To women, yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure of the reasoning behind that. I've, I've read something about how it's sort of the term the term ladies is seen as very feminine and um, women's possibly a, a stronger term. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's certainly getting there. It's been yeah, it's been a really positive couple of years in terms of progress. Brilliant stuff. Now, um, uh, you you don't know when you're going to be able to train again, really. But um, have you got any timelines in your head that you're hoping for? Uh, a few weeks ago, we had a timeline that we wanted to start first week of June. Obviously, um, where that might fall out at the moment, we're we're not too sure. I, I would like to say that the girls, uh, sorry, the ladies uh, <laughs> that, that are in the squad um, have been doing their own sort of fitness routines, yeah, going yeah. out running, a bit of sort of um, you know strength and conditioning work at, at home. So so that's been good to see, but. Yeah, I mean, like like everyone, the sooner we can get out and, and do things, the better. Whether we can start doing some one-to-one sessions, um, you know, in open spaces with, with the ladies, um, we're waiting to see from the FA. But, yeah, the, the beginning of June was our original goal. We're probably now going to sort of move that to the middle of June. Um, but we all wait with bated breath from, yeah. from the government, obviously, when uh, when we can start doing things. I mean, lockdown e- is easing slightly. You, you, you two guys are talking to me today outside on a bench waiting to, to have a, ra- a round of golf. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of getting there, isn't it? It is. Uh, you probably want to use the, the term golf quite loosely. With us, <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, it, it is. You know, we're, we're sat here and there's, you know, there's there's a few people sort of playing, you know, obviously uh, looking at the social distancing and, and things like that. But it is a little bit frustrating because there are some sports, you know, like your tennis, your golf, um, you know, those sort of sports that have sort of gone back um, yeah. to some form of, of coaching and, and training, whereas football, whether it's because everyone perceives it as contact and, and things like that, is especially in sort of like grassroots football, um, you know, whether whether that's sort of like hindering us um, slightly. But but yeah, we look forward to it. We're just just waiting from you know word from the FA etc. And, and then we'll get back out on that training pitch uh, like all clubs and uh, and start to build for next year. Well, when 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 you're back on the training pitch, get the camera out and send us some pictures. It'd be nice to put some in the paper. So thanks very much for talking to me, guys, Neil and uh, uh, Matt. Um, Matt, obviously, I knew you from from sitting in the press box. Uh, you worked on a on a website covering Torquay, and then you flitted across to Argyle for some reason. I've never understood that, but um, but I yeah, can we'll, for, I can we'll, forgive we'll, we'll you. Move, we'll, move, we'll move on from that. Thanks for bringing that one up, <laughs> <laughs> guys. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. And enjoy your golf. Thanks Cheers, mate. Speak to you soon. Cheers. So some pretty positive ideas there for, from the guys um, from. Uh, uh, Neil McInnes, as I called him, um, <laughs> I know him the, the latest in my series of name flounders, um, which uh, is a good name for a band, by the way. Um, yeah, he's and, and Matt Green. Um, I, I, I think it offers an opportunity for young girls who, who want to learn how to play football under the Talk United banner. Um, it offers them a great opportunity. Um, you know, uh, and also we, we talk about, and I, I've been trying to sort of do this in the paper um, over the last couple of years in all, all the papers I work on um, I don't consider women's football as women's football, it's just football as far as I'm concerned, yeah. it doesn't need to be a definition um, you know 
you have the little label uh, football or, or golf or whatever at the top of the story that we use in, in our design. And I stopped using women's football and just, just used football a couple of years ago. Um, it, it, it's 2020. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's, as we've said, when we're doing the live match blog from Plainmore on a match day, when, now that we've kind of stopped making a note of the fact that uh, the fourth official is a woman, that's progress, isn't it? It's, she's just the fourth official. Yeah. yeah. I mean, progress follows progress, doesn't it? Um, and I'm sure in 10 years' time, there are things that we do now without even thinking about it <laughs> that we'll, we'll look back on and, uh, and say, <laughs> dinosaurs. Did we, re- did we really do that? There you yeah. go. No, it's good. Good piece. Good interview. Which brings us on to the alphabet. Thank you, Julian, for helping us out with this K team again. Of course, well, some hero, Julian, of the podcast, isn't he? He is indeed. We'll have to get him out. We'll get him on before the end of yeah. the alphabet. We'll actually Absolutely. get him That's get him on for the podcast. Um, but yeah, the the K team. Now, the K team and its management structure is probably the most interesting letter we've had yet. I think we've got the first thing we'll come to is Torquay United's place in the Guinness Book of Records, which not oh, many not many football teams have. Uh, we've got an FA Cup final first, a close encounter with a squirrel, and nice one Cyril, obviously. A lot, okay. to, a lot to talk about in this K-team. But I'm going to start with Pat Cruz. I'm going to start in the centre of defence with the K-team. Um, Pat Cruz, who was at Torquay from 1974 to 77. He was Player of the Year in 1976. Uh, he played for Leicester in the first division. Malcolm Musgrove, who'd been the number two at Leicester, brought him to Plainmore. Uh, he played 88 games, scored four goals in the right end. He went on to play nearly 200 games for Brentford. He was captain there. He was player of the year. But throughout that blameless career, he will always be remembered for the first six seconds of a game in January 1977 at Plainmore against Cambridge United. Now, you're too young to have been there, aren't you? I, I might have been there. I don't remember it. As we discussed the other day, I don't remember my first game, no. but it would have been around that time. Uh, maybe just a little bit before. I was there. It, this is a bit like the Sex Pistols at the 100 Club. If everybody who says <laughs> they were there was actually there, there'd have been a million people there. But I genuinely was on the pop side uh, for that game. And as the... Com- I, great- I Manchester supporting the Buzzcocks is the, <laughs> the one that everyone says they were there when there was actually only about 45 people there. <laughs> That's true. Well, this is much the same. There can't have been all that many people there for a match between Torquay United and Cambridge. Okay. Just about. I mean, I can remember it where I take it. I digress slightly here. I, had, I was being ripped by the family the other day. We were talking about football matches on TV because my daughter was watching one of those um, Euro 96 reruns. She was watching the England-Scotland game. It was nil-nil, and I said there was a spectacular goal coming up to watch. Um, Paul Gascoigne would do something spectacular. I was trying not to ruin the moment for her. And I asked her which way they were playing on the TV, and she said England were playing from right to left. I said, well, that's all right. You've got a while to wait yet. It doesn't happen in that half. At which point, my family were amazed. I can remember goals being scored because I can remember which way the game is playing at the time. Tell me I'm not the only one that can do this. No, I can. Goal, I can see yeah. it in my head. I didn't watch it. I could. England are playing from left to right, aren't they? Yeah. That goal is in, imprinted on your on your soul, isn't it? And uh, and you, you know the way the way he lifts it over fenders and, and strikes it, and then obviously the dentist chair uh, exactly. celebration afterwards. 
So yes, I, you the get way it. that the movement is is, is, is there in my head. It's printed in your brain, isn't that, it? If I, I can look back on nearly all Talk United's goals that I've ever seen and, and tell you which way they were going. So it's not just me, is it? And everybody remembers no. Jeff Hurst getting the fourth goal for England in the 66 Cup final yeah. was playing from right to left. Yeah. Because well, that's the way... Well, if you were standing on the yeah. side where the candle was. I know, that's true. That is true. You're putting a, a whole, another metaphysical <laughs> level into this, Richard. I hadn't anticipated thinking this deeply about it. always only on one side because it's, as, as, as soon as... Uh, producers put a camera on the other side it just completely confuses it does this is why you're an open university student and i'm not by the way (laughs) because you're thinking more deeply about it but anyway i was on the pop side uh my schoolmate and i had just kind of taken our positions on the pop side with whatever refreshments we'd acquired um from the catering outlet you see if i'd been there i would have been on the other side and it would have been the other way around it was yeah all right okay i i i I, yeah perhaps the family are right and i've got this wrong but but it was in front of the mini stand that it happened and in six seconds cambridge kicked off ron atkinson was playing for cambridge that night by the way cambridge kicked off hoisted the ball forward pat cruz the talker united central defender was backpedaling towards goal Terry Lee, the Torquay United goalkeeper, was coming out to meet the ball. Cruz got there first. His aim was to send a glancing header back to Terry Lee. Uh, But unfortunately, by the time he did that, Terry Lee was standing up alongside him on the edge of the area and the ball gently bounced into the net. That's my memory of that goal in six seconds in the Guinness Book of Records as the fastest ever own goal. Indeed. And like... You were saying, weren't you, that, that, that he is remembered for that despite all of the other stuff he did. But, I guess we've got, we've got a little folder somewhere to put those names in, Jim McNichol being another one. Yeah. Well, I spoke to Chris Waddle once about, and we were talking about football in general, and he said then, you know, it, it, a long, blameless career, played for Spurs and Newcastle, they played in France, played for Torquay, that's when we were talking. And all anybody remembers him for is missing a penalty in a shootout. And... It's um, it kind of rankles with these players. I imagine if we'd been able to get hold of Pat Cruz, I imagine he'd have wanted to talk a lot more about two hundred and fifty odd games in the football league than those six seconds. But there you go. They're um, they're in the Guinness Book of Records if anybody cares to look. And of course, Torquay scored a second own goal before half time in that game. Phil Sandercock, if I remember rightly, turned a cross into his own net. It was a cross from I think Torquay's right. Uh, and Phil Sandercock was sliding in to try and get there before a Cambridge striker turned it into his own net. Uh, but Willie, I'm Bar- guessing, I'm guessing you said Terry Lee was in goal. That is before he joined Adam the Ants, was it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Although yeah. he always used to wear the makeup. Because, I mean, at the time, at the time, that the Adam and the Ants of the 1977 were a different kind of different Adam and the Ants. They were. The Ants. They were. Terry all... Lee joined when. When uh, Marco Peroni got involved, yeah, they were all um, they were all Dirk wears white socks back then, weren't they? Yeah, yeah I remember. But um, yeah, to Torquay were two 0 down to goals of their own making. Willie Brown uh, scored twice to make it two two, and uh, a point was gained. But that's just just a famous yeah. famous day for the K player. We should press on yeah, then indeed. into this Let's uh, push on. more K, more K, special K. This one is. Uh, we don't have a goalkeeper for K, so what I've done is I've had a word with Rory Keating, and Rory Keating's going in goal. I get the impression he's the kind of player that, that would do that for you. 
Just, you would enjoy that, you can tell, can't you? Just put the gloves on, Rory. Go and goal. See how it goes. Well, you know who who probably who did go and goal a couple of times and um, who uh, loved it was Kevin Hill. Yes, um, he did, didn't he? So yeah. K Kevin, I know that's kind of twisting it a bit, but he could. We could do it. But this gives, it, gives us an excuse to uh, to put Rory in the team anyway. He was Chalky's longest serving player um, when he left us to go to Gateshead. Uh, he joined us yeah, in February right. 2017, played 119 games, 16 goals. Everybody at Plainmore loved him. He was one of those players that I think everybody, including the management, were sad to see go. But, you know, they, things just run their course, don't they? And uh, it was probably yeah, time for him to move on. Nicholson signed him, didn't he? He, he did. did. I, I think, if I'm right, he uh, he'd been on trial with the club for a couple of weeks, um, with a view to to, to signing. Uh, but I, but I think it was. I think they have players on trial quite a lot that we never hear about because mm. you know they're there for a week and then they're gone. But I think he'd been there for a couple of weeks, maybe even three weeks or something. Uh, I remember Kevin Hill, sorry Kevin Nicholson, saying when 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 he signed him, he just got fed up with with him. Kicking his players and, and, and outrunning his <laughs> players and having really good players and and you know he said just just for the amount of work that he put into the the trial he was worth you know giving a chance and you know he took it the first game I, I saw him his day must have been his debut unless he played away first mm. of all um, he he went for a a ball that everyone else had given up on. Um, uh, or went for a challenge that no one else was going to go for, or something like that. And she had a lot, lot of spirit, and it was right in front of the pop side. Yeah. And if you're a new player, that's exactly where you want to do that kind of thing, because from that moment on, you know, you're on to a winner. Oh, it's true. And the love affair never ended, really, did it, with Rory? I mean, he's uh, a terrific player. His uncle Roe never did come down to play more, though, I don't think, did he? No, but his, I'll tell you what, his, his dad... Mum and Dad were there a lot, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we hope everything goes well for him. He's at Gateshead, isn't he? And um, yeah, and he scored a couple of goals soon after signing. I yeah. think he scored two goals in three games. When I was looking, I didn't. I, I, I stopped think, looking after that. Um, I think he got one on his debut. Didn't he come on as a I sub and score on his debut? I think he did, and you know. Um, Wish him all the best. Yeah, we want him to really do well. well. Yeah, we absolutely want him to do well. Okay, so the defence in front of him that no, might... I'm not against us because that's obviously the curse of the player who's gone away. <laughs> always happens, doesn't it? Always happens. Yeah. Tyrone Marsh. <laughs> okay, into our defence then. Tom Kelly. Uh, it's one of a couple of players, several players in fact, in this K team who played a lot of local football after they'd uh, finished as professionals. Um, Tom was at Plainmore from 86 to 89 and then again from 92 to 96. He played for York in between. He also played for Exeter. Um, for, he was part of the Division 4 Championship winning side up at Exeter. Funny enough, that, that was being celebrated with a, a, an online exhibition um, done by the Exeter University and Exeter City recently that, that, that championship season and it was really good actually they put a lot of work into it but the main, the main photo that I used on the back of the Herald uh, uh, Express and Echo that was from that website was uh, the uh, Terry Cooper being held aloft by you know cert certain members of the squad and there's Tom Kelly and there's I think Jim McNichol as Jim well McNichol. in the background he was indeed um, but he played 290 games for Torquay in all 
uh, over those two spells. He was um, he played in the the game against Crew, of course, the uh, the Bryn game. He played in that one. He played in the Sherpa Van Trophy final in '89, and he was Player of the Year in '87. But he, uh, and he went on to play for various local teams. He was involved in management with local sides as well, wasn't he? Oh, I just realised where he's from. Yeah. Anyway, I'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tom had been manager of, of numerous non uh, sort of uh, Torbay and um, surrounding areas non-league clubs. Um, he he's been on the coach. He was on the coaching staff most recently that I remember where I saw him at um, Buckland. Yeah. Um, during a traditional period, really nice bloke. Spoke. I, I've had a chat with him in my local pub, and the last couple of years, actually, bumped into him <coughs> in the toilet. Okay. And um, yeah, really, really nice bloke. He's got a, he's got a son <laughs> who's a decent son, player as well, isn't he? Son uh, Cameron Kelly has played for Buckland, played for Truro, um, played for several other teams around. Um, likes a red card, Cameron. I don't think it's unfair to say, but um, good defender. Good yeah. defender. Nothing um, wrong with that. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, and he comes from Bells Hill, which is uh, the town where Teenage Fan Club Balance, uh, not Balance uh, the BMX Bandits and um, the Soup Dragons all come from. Oh, Luminaries yeah. of the Scottish indie pop scene. Well, there you go. There you go. You see, we're we're kind of steering this to being becoming almost a music podcast now, aren't we? We we, <laughs> we may have to do that as the summer goes on before the football starts again. Okay, next to Tom in the midfield in the five man defence, by the way, is actually the player uh, from whom he took over the left back position, Phil King, who was at Torquay eighty six eighty seven. Uh, Stuart Morgan had him here uh, at Plainmore. He played twenty nine games. Three goals in those 29 games, but he had a huge career after that. He went to Swindon, then he played in the first division for Sheffield Wednesday. And apparently, according to that well-known reference site online where we pick up quite a lot of our irrelevant facts from, he's a bit of a legend at Aston Villa because he scored a penalty which uh, vanquished Inter Milan in a European game. So he's really? uh, he's a bit of a legend at Villa Park, according to... Um, he was one of those players... When, when... I was about 16 probably when he was at Torquay and you watch players at that age and then they go on and do, you know, become players at bigger clubs and play in the top division. And, you know, you're always looking out for them. Um, I mean, that's, that's not just players that I was watching when I was 16, you know, when, uh, when Mike Williamson was at Newcastle and, uh, and Liam Rossinia was uh, Fulham, you know, you, those were the, when, when, when you watch those games live, you're always watching those players and you were, Always so much more critical of those players as well, waiting, waiting for any little mistake. Oh no, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, he was one of those players I looked out for. Phil King definitely after after he left Torquay, and and I remember him mostly at Sheffield Wednesday. He had a long long time there, I think. He did. Okay, alongside him is a chap by the name of Bill Kitchener, who was the centre back at Playmore when I first started watching Torquay. He was at Torquay. I can't I can't think of Bill Kitchener without thinking of that. Um, we want you. Uh, I wonder if they were somehow related. Uh, He was at Torquay United from 66 to 71, 184 games. He'd signed from West Ham. It was another, you know, the big connection with West Ham, and it was a time. Yeah, he he was our record signing um, at at that time. Uh, But players came from the first division to the third division quite regularly back then, didn't they? Play it's. It wasn't, it wasn't that unusual. No. Um, 
TV punditry wasn't the other option, was it? <laughs> no, that's very true. But uh, apparently he uh, he went on to be a policeman. After he'd finished playing at Torquay, he? he went on to become a policeman with the uh, Devon and Cornwall Constabulary. I, and, I mean, great player. I always remember his picture being on the front of the programme one season as well. He was um, he was a regular fixture at Playmore for uh, five yeah. years. Uh, and finishing... OK, well, finishing the back five is a player who very much is of our time. Jean-Yves Cueniate oh, wow. comes okay. in with a K-team. 52 games he played for us, five goals, a couple of red cards. Uh, he's now at Aldershot. Um, good player, Jean-Yves. You know, he's a nice guy as well, thoroughly nice guy to have a chat with. Again, you know, another one like Rory that you kind of think that he, things had run their course a little bit at Plainmore. But you don't wish him anything but good, do you, in his uh, future career? As long as he doesn't come back and score against us. Uh, he's playing for Aldershot. <laughs> well, oh, he's your favourite team, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, liked, I liked him as a defender. Um, you know, it's very difficult to, to read a manager's judgment on players because you only see them for 90 minutes every week. Yeah. Or, you know, um, they see them every day for... Let's not be unkind. A couple of hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, um, it was obviously judged that he wasn't quite good enough for the team, and uh, let's hope that he improves and, and uh, enjoys a successful career. He was one of those defenders yeah, that a strong head, didn't he? Yeah, and just when you're wishing for him to lump the ball possibly out into Marnham Road and and you know just just get rid of the danger. He was one of those defenders who did like a little step over and a touch and a turn and a twist and, and your heart was in yeah. your mouth sometimes. But to be fair to him, they usually came off, didn't they? They did, yeah. So into the midfield then and we've got, I'll tell you what, we'll do the, the most recent one before we move into another couple of stalwarts of the local game. Calvin Kalala, or Calvin Lumbombo Kalala, to give him his full name, um, is in there. He played 68 games for us. Uh, and left just at the end of this season. Um, it's a strange decision uh, on the part of himself and his um, his representatives. I think to go and look elsewhere. Possibly more to do with his representatives than him. I think uh, I would have stayed if I was him. But yeah. you know, not the complete player yet. And I would have I, I would have read that situation. It, oh God, if I had his talent, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and then my brain. <laughs> scorer of great goals I mean before we move on from Rory as well one thing I meant to mention was that goal that he got in the game against Woking um, yep. just just uh, just after Christmas wasn't it and that's one of those goals that bears repeated looking at on YouTube by the way it's a beauty of a shot oh uh, yeah but Calvin you kind of felt that Gary and Aaron and the coaching team had put a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of patience into Calvin uh, well, Gary, Gary, said, Gary said at the time when, when, when he decided that he wasn't going to take up the offer of a contract that they thought that given another year of their coaching, he would become the complete player. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, so Gary obviously had massive faith in his ability. And um, that's why I, I say that, you know, maybe he's too young to read it right. Yeah, he's only 22, he's isn't he? Influence of, of someone who's there to make money out of the player you know we'll, there's going to be a lot of players floating around a pool waiting to be picked yeah. at I, the start of next season and he's not Jamie Reid no I would like to see the finished 
Calvin Kalala in a couple of seasons time yeah. you know if, I would if, like to finish Calvin Kalala after another year's work yeah. by Johnson and Downs quite and uh, you know I just think it was a bit of a naive decision on his part but hey you know that's his choice yeah indeed so the two players that we're going to talk about, both of whom played a lot of football in the league and a lot of football locally. First of all, Dave Kennedy, uh, who was at Plainmore from 73 to 77. Herbie Kennedy, born in Tranmere, uh, played for, sorry, uh, born in Birkenhead, I think. Played for Tranmere, played for Chester, played on the wing, played 166 games for Torquay. He was an absolute stalwart of that mid-70s side. Uh, good player. Very... Him he went to Brixham afterwards. He played for Brixham United afterwards. He played in. Uh, he played Western League for Brixham United. I only ever played South Devon League for Brixham United. So yeah. I never. Uh, yeah. We never actually shared a dressing room. But when I was um, sort of getting involved on the peripheries of Brixham United during their Western League days, Herbie was very much part of the squad there. Nice guy. Good player. Uh, well worthy of his place in this A to Z team. That's good. And the next, okay, our next headline maker, the first substitute to score in an FA Cup final, Eddie Kelly. Oh, really? Eddie Kelly, yeah. who played at Torquay from 84 to 86, having played for Arsenal, of course, starred for Arsenal, uh, played a lot of games for QPR, played for Leicester, played nearly 400 games in the Football League, wound up at Torquay, uh, where he played 42 games for us. Scored three goals in that time. But his main claim to fame is in that um, FA Cup final in which Arsenal uh, beat Liverpool by two goals to one. Charlie George got the winner, but the goal that equalised there, George Graham claimed it. But Eddie Kelly subsequently in replays was shown to have got the last touch. In fact, George Graham never even touched it. it was Eddie Kelly played the ball through. There was a bit of a scramble and the ball found its way into the net. So Eddie Kelly was the scorer of that goal. First sub to um, score I, in the FA Cup final. I can't remember. Someone I knew in the past, a, a lady um, that I worked with or something, I can't remember, I can't place them, was good friends with Eddie Kelly and always going on about him. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, I, I know him more by reputation. I, what were the dates? Uh, he was at Torquay from 84 to 86, but he spent yeah, a lot... He might have been there, but I, I, I struggled to remember him. But um, from Glasgow. Yeah. Uh, actually joined us from Melton Town, interestingly. So he dropped a non-league already. OK. And then yeah. back in, came back up. I wonder if he moved down here or not. I know he remained here. Uh, played a lot of games at STC. He was involved a lot at STC back in the days right. when um, when the STC factory A was still there and um, B had those beautiful pitches out the back there going down Long Road. Yeah. So he yeah. Um, he was heavily involved there. Another um, another player who, <coughs> who um, gave a lot back to the uh, the local amateur game after leaving the pro ranks. So. Uh, um, yeah. Good. Okay. Well, I thought you were going to you were going to throw another player at me then. Eh? I just I thought I just spotted a key goalkeeper, but I didn't. <laughs> if you no, you better man than I if you find one. Okay, up front, Joker Four is up front oh, in our K team. Two thousand two to two thousand six, hundred and sixty one games he played. He was in that team for a long time. Uh, Thirty three goals in that time. He was one of Leroy's players, wasn't he? He was an Arsenal trainee. He was part of our promotion team. Um, Absolute lightning fast, if I remember rightly. The um, David Graham's goal in that game 
uh, against Southend, if you watch it, it's basically Joker Four's goal with a David Graham tapping, isn't it? Yes, well, it's, it actually, is. it's actually a low header that I think David Graham uh, puts his head down to, to nod it in. But it's Joker Four's lightning pace down the left hand side. I can see it now going left to right, guy. Left to right. Um, there you go. You see. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can see it in my head. Yeah. I mean, I know that, that, that I have watched it on YouTube in the last month or whatever, but I, without even watching it on YouTube, I think I could still see it yeah. from that angle. Yet, I was in the pre- I was in the press box on the other side. Okay. Yeah. So YouTube has influenced my memory of it. There you go. You see, well, the Pat Cruz goal. Of course, there no, as far as I can see, no evidence exists. Of that goal, all I've got is in my head from being low down on the front couple of levels of the pop side, which was the old cowshed pop side back then. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's funny. Maybe memory is um, playing tricks with me. Maybe it wasn't like that at all. Somebody will point it out if we've got this wrong. That's for sure. Going back, going back to, to Joe, I was at the Sunday Independent when he when he signed uh, covering Torquay, and uh, I, I had a really good chat with him about how he uh, used to trained with the Arsenal first team on occasions um, when he was a young lad um, and much was expected of him and he often sometimes was taken aside by Thierry Henry for one-to-one training sessions imagine that good heavens yeah but possibly the best Uh, on on the other side on the other side of Joker 4 I also remember when he was late for the coach one day and Mervyn Penny tore strips off him (laughs) did he really yeah (laughs) He hadn't turned up on the, the, depart, the departing time, and yeah, he got a telling off from Mr. from Mr. Benny. There you go. It's all part of the learning curve for a young footballer, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and he went on to. I mean, he was a good player. We all, we all liked him, didn't we? And he, we he did. Was a really positive attacking player. Um, uh, a lot of those players in that team, that Southend team, were Roy McFarlane signings, weren't they? And the, yeah, the, the, a lot of people look back on that team and say, well, it was it was the team that Roy built. And then Leroy coached, yeah, uh, and and that really worked because Leroy was a really good coach of players that that, that, that were mm. maybe slightly underachieving, and, and 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 then Roy had brought them in, yeah, so it was almost like a two man job, even though they were completely separated. Um, but Joker Four was one of the players that Leroy brought in. Yeah, he was a good player. Went on to play for Brentford, uh, Bournemouth, Bristol Rovers, Gillingham, and Wickham. Among others, in my, in my head, Crystal Rovers. I remember him playing. For, yeah, but um, yeah, a, a great player. Um, quite quiet, um, but yeah, really, you know, good player. And up alongside him, uh, the the final member of our starting eleven, Billy Key, who's a massive favourite with um, with the fans at Playmore. I mean, Billy was at Playmore two thousand and ten <laughs> to two thousand and twelve. Fifty four games, ten goals. Uh, he'd been at Leicester. Um, where he was released. He's a Northern Ireland under-21 international, um, but a player who's been in the headlines a lot. I mean, Billy was very honest about his his own battles with anxiety and depression, which have led to him in the last year or so um, ceasing to be a professional footballer. He's still playing in the amateur game, but he's not playing as a pro anymore. He was at Burton, Scunthorpe, and he was an absolute legend at, uh, at Accrington. Um, he, um, one of those players falls, falls into the, the time when I was in London I, I, I wasn't able to make it to uh, home games and because of the, t- the hours I worked on the newspaper to, to, to many away games either so I, I missed 
I miss seeing Billy. I saw him a couple of times, but I miss seeing the the, the, the real Billy Key. I think uh, a couple of games I saw, he didn't do much. Um, again, uh, I know people who are great fans of him from his time at Playmore. Yeah. And it, um, you couldn't not notice how well he did around the lower echelons of the football league after he'd left us as yeah. well. His name was, his name cropped up quite a lot with important goals, if I remember rightly. Yeah, he's a, he was a very physical, uh, old-fashioned centre forward. He was the kind of player you thought, let's hang on to him. You know, he's got seasons in him to lead the line um, at Playmore, but. You know, he, I think he was a little bit homesick uh, for the North and obviously had the, the issues that at that point only he knew about. He wasn't speaking about it at the yeah. time. So it, it's great regret that we didn't hang on to him for longer, but I really hope that uh, things are going well for him now. The, um, the, the thing that strikes me is uh, if he is playing quite a real kind of local non-league, um, I feel sorry for the defences. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, I wouldn't want to be trying to mark Billy Key. Absolutely not. No. Okay, we've got a sub uh, this week as well. There's a player whose name begins with K that we couldn't leave out. Olaf Kozella is on oh, the yeah. bench for us. Uh, very much still a member of, uh, of the squad. Very much a player with, um, with his future absolutely in front of him. He's only played 13 games for us so far. Um, but he's... And many of those guys have been five minutes yeah, on the bench. Yeah. He's, so, a, um, he's a proper player yeah. in the making, Olaf, isn't he? Yeah, and we thought he scored a goal, didn't we? Um, I can't remember, maybe the second or third game he played for us. Um, and he put one in right at the end and celebrated like a madman. Celebrated like a Torquay-born player scoring for Torquay, yeah. scoring his debut. And then it was disallowed for being offside. So it was a real shame. He, he went to Tiverton at the start of last season and was scoring goals for fun at that level in the Premier, Premier Division South of uh, the Southern League, mm. um, which, of course, is only one level below... Uh, the National League South, um, and, and then was recalled to Torquay when when there were uh, when he was needed for bench duties, basically. Yeah. So that ended. Um, a lot of respect for, for for him there. I think I spoke to Martin Rogers about him. He likes him. So we'll see. Um, it's you, you can look at young players, can't you? All you want and think, um, oh, they're going to make it. Yeah, you never know, do you? You never know. Fingers crossed for for coming. Um, Despite his 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 surname, he or uh, both of his names, he's talking born and bred, apparently. And uh, he is, yes, very much so. Yeah. Let's let's get behind him and and you know let's 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 hope he has a great career. Yeah, many exciting things about the season to come, as and when it gets started, and uh, Olaf's. Continuing rise is uh, is one of them, I think. It's like nice to see a player with, um, you know, his parents obviously roots from different countries. You know, we've had a lot of immigration, obviously, over the last <clears throat> ten years or so into the bay, and it's great to see one of their sons um, pop up in a talkie shirt. It's uh, it's it's, it's feel good. It does. It does indeed. Well, I, I, mean, anyway, I know I know there are others out there that might not feel that way, but I I can't be bothered with them. No, quite right too. OK, we've got three managers whose names begin with K. We're not even going to have Martin Cool. We could have him as, a, as an assistant, couldn't we? Um, well, Martin Cool, who gave me the best headline ever in the entire history of my, my newspaper work. <laughs> Go on. Cool and the gang. Cool and the gang. Perfect stuff. OK, Lubos, Lubos Kubik, who was the manager... Oh, 
Yeah. Now, I'm going to be careful here because there's a name crops up in this story that we promised we would never mention. We would never mention on this podcast. So I'll be careful. Lubos Kubik was the manager from November uh, 2006 to February 2007. He's got 56 caps for his country, Czechoslovakia, then the Czech Republic. Um, thoroughly good player, promising manager, good guy. Um, he suffered from being part of an unpopular regime at Plainmore, which was not terribly successful. And uh, the Herald Express colleagues of mine did a tremendous job in um, lifting the lid on it, shall we say. My involvement in that was only peripheral, so kudos to the guys who did that work. But Lubos was a bit of a casualty of that. He, um, we only had a 13.33% win rate, according to the TalkyFanStats.com website, while Lubos was in charge. So, Not a happy period. So Ian Atkins was there, I think, just before for Lubos, and then Ian Atkins went... Um, the man that should not be named, I'll call him Voldemort, um, <laughs> was uh, was obviously in charge yeah. and um, of, of, of running the club. And he knew Ludos from holidays, I believe, or business deals yeah. um, that he'd, he'd had previously. Um, I, you know, obviously Ludos was an extremely talented footballer who who um, played for his country 50-odd times. So, you know, um, I think Voldemort convinced him that the job was going to be easier than it was. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, he admitted that towards the end of his ten- tenure, didn't he? Kubrick? Yes, he did, yeah. Um, he basically said that he, he'd come to Torquay under the impression that, you know, it, was, it wasn't as going to be as hard a task mm. to turn things around as he's been led to believe. So Lubos Kubik, we'll, we'll put him down as a, a note in the margin, as a, an innocent victim of um, a troubled time. Yeah, yeah. Alan Nil is, uh, is also a manager who comes up here. Now, Alan Nil is currently part of the team that's turning Sheffield United into a potent force in the Premiership, isn't he? Chris Wilder's assistant, isn't he? Yeah, he's doing tremendous work at Sheffield United. Um, he kept us up when he first arrived in 2013, did well to keep us up. That was a season when we looked absolutely nailed on to go down, but we had a terrible season the following season. It was awful. Um, things did not go well for him. He's in here largely as well because of his close encounter with a squirrel. Do you remember that story? Well, again, this is when I was away in London. So oh, this I don't was, remember. This was before... Which is, he, why, which is why when you mentioned it right at the start, I was a bit... Perplexed. Well, it was um, before he came uh, here. Yeah, it was when he was manager up at Scunthorpe. Um, he was out for a ride on his bike one day and a squirrel came out of the undergrowth and got itself tangled in his front wheel. Now, history doesn't tell us what happened to the squirrel, but I suspect it I didn't go it, well. Good. But of course, it jammed his front wheel. It threw him over the handlebars and he had a very nasty tumble. Um he was shaken up, but he was not badly injured, thankfully. But it was a bit of an epiphany for him. He had this feeling that he'd actually kind of cheated death on this occasion. He looked at life completely differently after the squirrel incident. And we spoke to him about it once. And, he, you know, he was absolutely... Uh, he, he talked about it at length. It was a, a real life-changing moment for Alan Nil. This, uh, this terrible bike accident where he could have been very badly hurt. But... Unfortunately, websites and newspapers being what they are, 
it just turned into Alan Nill and the squirrel incident. So uh, we nobody ever took it very seriously, I'm afraid. Um, I, I, there's a Netflix feature in it. There is a Netflix feature, Alan Nill and the squirrel. But there we go. I'm glad that he's... Um, I'm glad to avoid any reference to nuts. But <laughs> yeah, I, I do do that yeah leave that well alone but it's good that he's doing so well at Sheffield United great that they're doing so well in a Premier League that very often doesn't I hope it wasn't a red squirrel <laughs> it could have been you never know they're in, danger. they're in danger well that one was particularly endangered I imagine it didn't end well okay and fi- the final name that we'll come up with because we've taken up far too much of your time but the big name Cyril Knowles manager one of those landmark milestone managers in Torquay United's history he, Absolutely. he played over 400 games for Spurs got four England caps he'd been at Spurs for 11 years um, as a manager probably one of the hard men of the manager I mean, the team that he put together was a team that didn't take any prisoners and I think it was very much a team in his image wasn't it absolutely yeah I mean um just remember him walking out of Wembley. That's that's yeah. the that's the image I have in my head. Um, black and white photos I've got of that day. Um, you know, one of the key ones is him walking out. Yeah, a great Van Trophy fan. Talking about over forty percent win rate under Cyril, which makes yeah, him the most right. successful of the um, the three that we've got there. He was at Playmore until September nineteen eighty nine. As you say, the, the the Wembley game is what everybody remembers, but the team that he fashioned. The stories that you hear tell about them hammering on dressing room doors to intimidate the team next door and uh, playing these murderous games of five-a-side on the gravel beside the mini-stand and all that sort of thing. What a team they were. A team with players like John Impey, Jim McNichol, Tom Kelly, Dave Caldwell, Paul Dobson in that team, Mark Loram, and of course Lee Sharp. He was the manager who who, who spotted or or had brought to him Lee Sharp, saw the potential in him, signed him, and of course uh, the rest is history. Gave him free reign to score a penalty on his debut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who... who, uh, No, 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 not a penalty on his debut, but his debut goal for the the club was Was a penalty. penalty. Yeah, it was. I mean... Who the, who the hell allows a, a young player like that to take a penalty in a, in a game of football, uh, competitive football? Absolutely. And we've both made contact with Lee Sharp in the last few weeks, haven't we? We're hoping to get him on the podcast at some point, but he's a very busy we're man. Trying. So we're doing our best to get Lee Sharp on the podcast. That would be and quite anyone something. Anyone knows him, give us a ring. Yeah, do that. Do that. Which brings us, I think, to the end of our K team. It's been a long podcast, but we've still got music to bring you. Don't go away. Don't go anywhere because we have original local music to bring you. Uh, and hopefully next week there might be even be some team news. You never know. Did you get the impression from Gary that things are just going to take their course? Yeah, I don't think. I, I mean, you know, I'll say this now, and I'll be completely wrong, but I'm not expecting to hear any team news for, for a couple of weeks at least mm-hmm. um, not, t- not until we know how the season's going to end let alone start again yeah. uh, I mean as it goes on and on and on I cannot see the season starting in August no, um, no the, well, the, the longer this I, tail I, end of this season goes on the less likely that is isn't yeah. it I, I think it'll be September at the earliest before we see any football at Playmore whether we see football at Playmore or there is football at Playmore yeah We'll have to keep spinning out this A to Z for a bit longer yet. We've got a few. We've got a few more yet. I mean, we I'm have. just um, trying to find it somewhere we've not mentioned, but um, I can't find a quirky one like I normally do, which is a shame. That's... Oh, Bob Keating. There we are, Bob Keating. Okay. 
not as quirky as a normal, is it? But it's uh, Elba and then Bob. Okay. Not quite as quirky as Oswald Lopez no. from um, no. a little while ago. So he played 77 times, actually. <laughs> 1937 to 1947. So that's even before my time. A break of, during the war break as well, so that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, sorry, I, I failed on my quirky, my quirkily named player from the long, long forgotten past. There we go. We'll try to do better next week. In the meantime, music. Yeah, um, Albert before. He didn't get... Oh no, I've moved on to hell. I've moved, moved on to on. hell. In the meantime, though, music from your old mate Ian Churchwood. Uh, his band, yeah. The Legendary 10 Seconds, which in context is four seconds too long because yes. the song is called The Fastest Own Goal. It's written about Pat Cruz and the own goal from 1977. And we're going to finish the podcast with it in a few moments. So thank you very much for listening. It's, it's good night from me. And uh, yeah, before you go, I just I, I have known Ian for a long, long time. When John Peel played the Morrisons in a 1986 or seven or whatever it was, uh, their first release, um, he gave the gave the address out to, to, to send for a for a, for a copy of it. And I I quickly got on the got got in the uh, telephone book and found out where Phil Andrews lived, who was the lead singer, and uh, phoned him. And, and uh, uh, I was doing hospital radio at the time. Yeah, and they came in and interview and I became very strong friends with the whole band and uh, um, Phil now lives in Exeter but is still a massive talkie fan Ian I see him at most home games although uh, we don't we don't talk that much I, um, Jerry who was the trumpet player goes to uh, to every game I see him uh, there and you know so it was a local band who, who had three or four singles out um, modicum of a more more um, uh, success than your, your average talky band, let's put it that yeah. way. Uh, national radio player, etc. Tours, tours around the country. Um, so yeah, they they do well, and they've all gone on doing their own music in, in time. And, and, and Ian's been doing the legendary ten seconds for possibly a, a legendary ten years now. <laughs> I think. Yeah, no, it's a good musician. Um, Ian does a lot of lot of mu- music based around Richard the Third, which. Uh, the American Richard III Society buy in large numbers. Really? Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, if there's a Pat Cruz Society anywhere, they should uh, <laughs> they should get hold of this. Thanks for listening. This is the fastest own goal by the legendary Ten Seconds. <laughs> That special own goal by Pat Cruz We scored four goals in a two-all draw You'd surely not seen that before It was in the Guinness Book of Records An own goal scored in just six seconds
Cambridge came to Torquay Another match for you to see The 3rd of January at Plainmoor You still remember the final score What a way to gain such fame And oh how well you recall that game The fastest own goal you'd ever seen Pity our poor football team Phil Sandercott then scored one more But Willie Brown earned us a draw Remember when he made the news That special own goal by Pat Cruz We scored four goals in a two-all draw You'd surely not seen that before It was in the Guinness Book of Records An own goal scored in just six seconds You have been listening to the Devon Live Herald Express Talkie United Yellow Army podcast, recorded weekly by Guy Henderson and Richard Hughes. You can find us in the Talkie United channel on the Devon Live website, and you can subscribe to us at iTunes. Please leave a review wherever you see us. We welcome all feedback, uh, whether positive or negative. We always like to know what you think of the Yellow Army podcast. Please join us next time.